Ricky Brown, welcome to Beyond. So great to be here, Ben. Yeah. So glad to have you be a part of this right now. Yeah, I'm fired up to have you on. So as I just sort of kind of give you your background, a little preamble, you're known as a leader in organizational and personal behavioral change. Yeah. Um, during your time at UC Berkeley, you received many honors with your work culminating in the development of a UC Berkeley course on psychology of behavior change and wellness. Um, take us back to your early life that led up to your career. Can you tell us uh, about where you grew up and, yeah. and what it was like? Yeah. So, uh, interesting, born in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my mom is Ethiopian, my dad's from Detroit. And uh, we actually moved to California when I was two years old. And so I was raised out here in Southern California. Uh, kind of a recluse myself, like I enjoyed my friends. I had, a, I had an enjoyable life, but really one of the biggest things for me was I love playing with my toys, like action figures. It was always about imagination. I would wanna create, I wanna create. So I realized that I was a creator. Uh, as time went by, I started getting into sports. My family was like, okay, get, get, get out of the house. So right. got me into the house, started playing sports, and I did really well, surprisingly well, football, uh, wrestling, track and field, that's what I did. But it actually got me into, after high school, I became a personal trainer. Mm. So personal training is really what set me on the path that I'm on now in a huge way. What I had was, I kind of tell this story, I had a client of mine who was extremely quiet, extremely shy, and could not lift weight. He was, he was skinny, he couldn't lift 25 pounds. I just remember looking at him, I'm like, I really want to help this guy out. Right. So time goes by, I'm training him, I'm training him, he starts getting a little bit of size. As he gets size, he starts to make a couple jokes. And for me, when a person's like starting to transition, they start to be a little bit more kind of jovial, they'll make jokes. So he started making jokes, I'm like, great, that's cool, all right. Then time goes by, he's like, I got a girlfriend. And I'm like, that's awesome, get back to lifting the weights. Time goes by, he goes, I'm engaged, and I want you to be in the wedding. Wow. And I'm sitting there at the wedding rehearsal, and he's standing above me, and he's looking just dapper, clean. And he has tears in his eyes, and he's looking at me, and he goes, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have believed I could have got a girl like this. Wow. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, is this, is this self-actualization? Is this what I want to do the rest of my life? And, and ultimately, how old were you was, at this point? Jeez, I was probably 20, I had to be, I had to be 20, 21 when this happened. And really what happened at that point is it no longer became about training people. It became about belief. Because he didn't say, if it wasn't for you, I couldn't have got this. He says, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have believed. And so that has set me on a path. How do you get people to believe that they're capable? But how'd you know at 21, how'd you get that epiphany? How'd you get that insight? Because most people at 21, right. let's be honest, they're, right. they're focused on other things. Absolutely, absolutely. But you sound like you're soulful and you're yeah. deeper and maybe an old soul. What, what do you think gave yeah, you that insight? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I would say, okay, so I wrote a lot. Um, and I think one of the most powerful, even in my, my, with my clients now uh, that I work with, journaling is one of the biggest things. I didn't know at the time that journaling, the effects that it had, what research says about journaling, but at the time I just knew that when I wrote, I felt better. And so there was a period when I was younger where two things came into my life that really kind of changed my perspective and it got me to learn more about who I was and what was more than what the world was talking about. One of my friends, Joey, he wrote poetry and I would read his poetry and I hated it. <laughs> I didn't really care for it, but I'm like, you know what, I want to try poetry. So I started writing. And I just got addicted. And then I stopped writing about like poetry about the world. I started writing like prose about my thoughts and what I was thinking and what I cared about. And I would even call out my own bluffs in my own writing, right? And as I became more self-aware, which is a huge, huge portion of my, my research and a huge portion of the work that I do, I started to understand what I cared about and what I loved. And couple that with music. My sister got a guitar when I was 16. Mm -hmm. She never played it. I would always borrow it. And I would start to create music. And I always say that if a person is able to connect to something and be able to spend time by themselves, it's something that I respect. If you're an athlete and you're a high-performing athlete or you're a musician, I know that you know how to spend time by yourself. 
and work and discipline. And I think that being able to write consistently, being an athlete and at the same time be able to play music and write and come up with songs really got me to be able to be okay isolated, be okay with myself and not feel alone. And that really in a lot of ways freed me from needing to meet the demands of the social you know, kind of environment around me. And in a lot of ways, I think that's it, why at such a young age, when I saw that and experienced that, I'm like, this feels better than anything else that my friends have talked about. This feels better than anything that my church has talked about. This is really what my power is, is to be able to inspire people to inspire themselves. So let's back up. In today's world, we got Instagram. Right. And that's a limbic-rich platform. Uh-huh. It's instant gratification. It's instant emotional response. It's not the cerebral cortex level. Right, right, and right. most people operate on a limbic-rich environment where... I want what I want when I want it. Right. It's instant gratification. Totally. How do you drive people to a deeper sense of awareness and a deeper a state of awareness to what you're talking about? Yeah, so it's a microwave mentality. You know, I want to be able to put it in for a couple seconds and I want it to come out <laughs> right. as it is. Yeah. And I think what happens is I always ask this question, what, what led you to me? Why are you here? Is it working? That's the question that you have to ask. No matter, and, and no matter what culture I speak to, whether I'm doing stuff internationally, stuff here, I always ask, has what you've done worked? And if so, why are you in front of me? Right? And all it is is just positing a very simple question. Because if you're at this place, that means that your math doesn't add up to the life that you want. And that's a really, that kind of pauses them for a second. And then I say, are you willing to try a different way? Do you want to improve? And if they say yes, then we move forward. If not, I say, do you want to want to improve? If they say yes, then we move forward at that space. But sometimes people just have to kind of realize that if I play all these games of this microwave mentality of wanting to only satisfy my limbic needs, I find myself more unhappy, more empty, more alone, and finding and seeking those type of people that are the same way are isolating right. and going deeper into that space. Right, that's powerful. So let's, let's take a step back yeah. and share with the audience, what is it you do for a living? We've sort yeah. of been dancing yeah. around a little <laughs> right, bit. Right, right, right. What is it you do for a living? So I am actually a behavior change specialist. Uh, and what I do is I just help people change their behaviors in ways that empower them to live the lives that they want. Uh, The way that I do that is pretty much deconstructing the self-sabotaging thoughts that they have in their minds. Most of the issues that we have in our life is in our minds. It's not so much the thing that happens, but our thought about the thing, right? And so we help people deconstruct the false stories. And then once they've deconstructed it, they feel free. But the truth is they're not really free because they haven't clarified what they truly want. Most people place their ladder on the wrong building of success. And so what I do is I say, let's put the ladder on the ground for a second, deconstruct the stories that you have, and then make sure we put it on the right building. Right? And I do that through a different, different programs that I have that pull from my research, mm-hmm. uh, and as well as the coaching work that I do. And so it's truly just to empower individuals. And I do that with individuals, executives. I do it with organizations, schools, whoever wants to change. Because at, at the end of the day, we're all humans, mm-hmm. and our brains all work very similarly. Mm-hmm. Even an organization is an organism, in a sense. Right. And so it has the same type of limbic and prefrontal cortex as any human being would have. Right. Good point. So as a leading expert in motivation behavioral change, uh, what is the biggest challenge you have found in managing stress, career expectations, and performance in the workplace? Hmm. So I would say for when working with clients, working with people, again, it goes back to what I said about your thoughts. The way you think determines everything in so many different ways. And uh, this is something that, you know, my father instilled in me when I was younger. It's like, you know, God thought the world into existence. And then as time goes by, uh, we have the same ability, but it takes us a little bit longer. And so the, the power of thought you know, Magic of Thinking Big, Think and Grow Rich, you know, all these types of books, they talk about what well, your thoughts are so important. But ultimately what happens is when people are dealing with, let's say they have uh, a boss that micromanages them or a boss who thinks that their, their employees are disengaged, 
It's the thought about the situation that is more heavy. The stress is what you think about. So I say, this is the issue. This is the situation. But what happens is we revolve it with our past experiences of such things. We revolve it with the future potentials of the negativity that can happen. We revolve it with how this means this person is disrespecting me and how that reminds me of my experience with my parents and how I was disrespected or when my friend did this. And so it's all these satellites around the issue that cause stress. And my job is to help you get through all that and realize those are just thoughts to just deal with the situation. And when you have the freedom to deal with the situation, you have more cognitive capacity to be a high performer to solve it. That, that's brilliant. That, well stated. So I've, I've come from both big companies and startups. I'm in medical device startups. And medical device startups have a little different level of pressure because you have venture-backed money, mm -hmm. you have tighter timelines, you don't have billions in the bank to make mistakes. Right, right, right. You got to get it right. So in your experience, uh, from an organizational standpoint, what are the how are the challenges organizationally different from a startup to a Fortune 500 company? Right. Absolutely. I think, well, obviously when you're in a startup, just like you said, there's, there's limited funds and you're under the gun. Uh, burnout is a big issue. Yeah. Uh, burnout is a big issue because everybody has a vision and a dream that's so strong and everybody feels they're a part of something. Uh, but you're playing, there's so many roles that you're playing. At the same time, you haven't discovered kind of how to walk, you know what I mean? How to communicate between hierarchy, how to communicate between departments. There's a lot of things that are happening where everybody is wearing so many hats and they're just trying to survive which is kind of a fun adventure. And I really you know, have a lot of the, you know, the CEOs and founders understand that the adventure is a part of the process. But there's, this, there's pros and cons. The pros is everybody is alive and fighting for a vision. Everybody believes that they are a part of something. But the cons are the burnout, the, the, the ability to kind of wear too many hats, the ability to be caught up in you know, the, it's so funny, a lot of times what, what a lot of founders do is they get caught up in creating templates and sheets as opposed to just running out and doing what needs to be done. Right. Then you look at an organization that's been established they're like, no risk. We want to make sure that we're making profits. We have to make sure our stakeholders are happy. Exactly. And so there's not as much adventure. So the way that I say is it's the difference between an adventure and a vacation. An adventure, you don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be crazy, but it's going to be something that's memorable and a story you can tell a lot of people. A vacation is everybody has a picture of the Eiffel Tower on their Instagram. It's, there's nothing really kind of tied to it. But there's different type of uh, experiences that people have when they're in both. Uh, what I always recommend people to do is that if you're an uh, a, a worker within a corporation, you got to become an entrepreneur. You have to kind of see it as, okay, this is my own little startup within this space, and that's how I find value in what it is that I do. Right. You know, if you don't have value in what you do, then you're just a cog. Right. And if you're a cog... Well, that leads me to the next question. So how do employees maintain a sense of uniqueness in large companies right. specifically and avoid feeling like just one of the cogs in the wheel? Because mm -hmm. I can tell you of a story where right. a guy had a lot of stress in his life, and the outcome was really bad to what happened to him, but he was in a big company, got to a point, didn't get the promotion, didn't feel valued, gave everything to that company. And then there's a lot of people just feel like I'm just a cog in the wheel and what I do doesn't really matter. So how do you manage people through those emotions? Yeah, so it's interesting. My work is, uh, when I'm working with individuals, is different than when I'm working with a corporation. But I, what I will say is this, they did some research and they found out, uh, the question was what makes employees committed to their companies? Is it knowing the personal mission, vision, values that they, that they have themselves or knowing the mission, vision, values of the company? Now, obviously, if you know both, that's the highest level of commitment. That's what they found. But the second highest was not knowing the vision, mission, and values of the company, but knowing your own. Right. And by knowing your own, what it does is you almost self-select into the right job. And that's why I think one of the most important things is for people to know what they care about. And when I say no, not just say, I like this and that, but completely articulate it. When I work with my clients, we spend a month clarifying what they absolutely are certain that they care about because they, then they can use that when they're choosing what corporation to get to and when they choose not only is the person interviewing them they're interviewing the corporation 
which allows them to make sure that they have purpose, passion, that their values will be met when they're working in that space. Beautifully said. So the next thing it sort of leads into, is it even possible to maintain a work-life balance? I've interviewed a lot of people on the show yeah. and some people do it masterfully and other people struggle at it. Right. Is it is it really the perspective you take in a situation to maintain a work-life balance? I mean, right. certainly there's a lot of strategies you can apply, right. but ultimately it's about how, like you said, you think about something yeah. and how you interpret stress and what is stress, the expectations we put on something. So is, is it about work-life or is it about the perspective? Is that more powerful? Right and being able to maintain that balance? Totally. I would say that both are thoughts, right? The, the work life is a thought. It's, it's, it's been constructed, socially constructed work life. Because in reality, if I take away life, then there is no work, right? And it's kind of like the mind-body dichotomy. When you have mind and body, but I'm like, isn't my brain a part of my, and isn't, what happens is when we create this, this split, then one can be lost. The value is then now ratioed out. Mm -hmm. But if you make them one, if you can actually, what I call it is a work-life fusion, which is ultimately life. You know, for me, I love to travel. So I'm creating a reality where I am able to travel while being able to empower people. I must do that because I'm not going to be stuck in a corner office, but I'm not going to just waste my life having fun all the time. Right. So it's being able to understand that there is a way that if you truly step back and you find out what is my work-life fusion. It was one of the biggest issues when I was a personal trainer. People were like, as soon as life gets tough, they let go of their health. But their health is their life. And since they have this ability to separate it, they lose the power. My work is how do I make them so inseparable that no matter what happens, you'll take care of it. If you're running late to work, I mean, you're just, you're absolutely late and you don't want to get fired. You have two options. You can run naked and get there on time or you can put your clothes on and be late. Most people are going to put their clothes on and I ask why. They go, because I have to put my clothes on. It's the same thing with your body. I have to take care of my body. I can't afford, you know, a coach right now. I have to fix my mind. Because what is my life if I don't have my mind? Right. When you create that connection, then you find the fusion. Right. And it's no longer a balance. That's right. beautifully said. So what advice do you give to employees that feel utterly helpless right, right now? And they feel like their best days are behind them. And I've met people in their 20s right. and 30s that think that way. Right. So what advice would you give those people? Yeah. You know, I love this quote. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And so that goes back to perspective. The ability to be able to understand that you can create whatever world you want to create right now is so empowering. But the first thing you have to do before you get to the place where you're looking on and seeing Gary Vaynerchuk and Tony Robbins and all these people that are taking over the world and then comparing yourself, that's why you feel like your life is not where it should be, right? But the truth is, is that if you put yourself in a position to where you say, this is my life as it is, and no matter what happens, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to find a way to become happier. Then all of a sudden you free yourself through gratitude. You are just grateful that you're alive. And by being alive, you empower yourself to just take out the stress of where you should be. And when you take out the stress of where you should be, then you just are where you are. It's again, we talk about those satellites. Yeah. And when you take away those satellites, all of a sudden you have the situation. When you have the situation, you've taken away the cognitive disruptions that are all these thoughts so that you can create a solution to make your life better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's really a lot powerful. to unpack. Wow. Yeah, right? That's powerful. <laughs> So um, as, you, as you look at part of your programs, you offer a number of programs. Um, you offer lifestyle coaching. You offer, uh, correct me again, you, you- Life mastery coaching. Life mastery yeah. coaching. Um, can you share with the audience what, what this is and, and is it synergistic with the coaching for, for corporations? Right. Is it personal and corporation or right. both? Right, right, right. Excellent, excellent question. Uh, I would say with life mastery coaching, this is kind of the core of the work that I do. And that's really the deconstruction. What I say is my job is to get you to run faster. And the way that I get you to run faster is not teaching you how to run. I don't even teach you about form. The first thing I do is cut the parachute that's on your back. 
The parachute are your thoughts, your self-doubts, your core beliefs, these sabotaging experiences that you've had, right? If I get you to cut the parachute, by default, you will run faster. Then once you run faster, we then have you clarify what it is that you care about in the world, your vision, your mission, your values. And I don't say it in cliche ways. My research was really about finding out what intrinsic and extrinsic motivators push people to make lasting change in their lives. What I hated as a trainer was that people would get results, leave, lose results, because the paradigm shift hadn't happened. All they had was an external motivator forcing them to do something. Mm -hmm. What my work is, how do I get you to internally realize that my vision is the most important thing? Mm -hmm. When I say my vision, I envision a world with boundless imagination, and uh, I envision a world with boundless imagination and inspiration is uh, applied to, that's so funny, I literally, <laughs> this is great. Oh my gosh, I love it. I say it all the time. I envision a world where boundless imagination and creativity is applied to life itself, where the very art of living is mastered and evolved as each individual is empowered to express their unique greatness in the world. So that is something that I repeat all the time. And I say it all the time because I need to keep it in my it's mind. your mantra. It's my mantra. Yeah. That is my vision. That's what I'm trying to create. But when someone knows what they're trying to do, when they know how they're trying to do it, what it looks like, then it makes it easier for, easier for them to move through the world. So as you're working with people to get them to that point, how much role does fear play in <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. putting the brakes on the progress right. and just the self-sabotaging? How do you break out of that self-sabotaging mindset right. with people? Uh, the first thing I do is, uh, you know, this is, this is an old cliche one, but uh, it's an acronym. Fear equals false evidence appearing real. Uh, everybody hears that. What I often say is that there is, there's two types of realities with fear. There's the thing you fear, and I like to use props. So this is the thing I fear, mm -hmm. right? This thing looks larger than it, than it is. Well, it's almost like the shadow of fear. That's, this mm -hmm. is a perfect example. This shadow is longer than the reality. What happens is the shadow are all the potential realities of what could go wrong. If I start this business, all these things could happen. The truth is all of them can't all happen at one time. But what we do is we create this massive wall of all the potential realities of the fear of what could happen rather than just go through it and experience what it is. The truth is if you face fear, you're more empowered to grow from it. People think that the avoidance of risk, the avoidance of fear is what empowers them to survive. But the truth is by avoiding fear, they're killing themselves. Mm -hmm. And so really what I often do is I let people look at their fear, I let them dissect it. And I say, if you can't look at it, then just kind of talk about it. Mm -hmm. Once you're able to look at it, look at it and touch it. Once you're able to look at it, look at it, touch it, pick it up, and realize that it wasn't as heavy as you thought it was, and that you're way bigger than it was. But it takes a lot of internal work. It takes a lot of cognitive thoughts. You have to be able to see, is my interpretation accurate to the reality of what's happening? The, the fear itself is smaller than the fear of the fear, right? My fear of the fear is the problem. And if I can reduce that so you can look at it for what it is, then you're free to be able to face it. How much does that fear, though, play into people's psyche of how they live life? So, for example, um, I've always said people vibrate a certain different frequency. We all vibrate at frequencies right. as a living organism, uh -huh. right? Yet some people vibrate at the frequency of crazy. Uh -huh. They want drama right. because that gives them purpose. And then whatever they put their intent on is bringing in that attenuation and that tune right. to that frequency. So the idea of not making it, not being successful, mm -hmm. maybe plays into that tape that plays in their head of this is where I'm supposed to be and so I construct a world where I'm always at this place that's just on the edge of maybe being successful but I continue to self-sabotage because that's a story I've always told myself Absolutely. right so how do you work through getting real with where you're at and why you're doing what you're doing to really prevent you from being what you could be Oof. great question man and great breakdown in the question the first thing you need to be aware of is your awareness. As simple as that. You have to start to see yourself. The problem is most of us are unconscious. One of the first things I do with my clients, and this is, I offer health mastery as well, but this is for every client. 
the first week they take pictures of every meal they eat. And they're thinking that I'm gonna judge what they're eating. I don't even care what they're eating. I just have them take a picture of every meal that they eat for a week. Then we go over and look at the pictures and I say, what did you learn? And they said, well, I learned that I didn't know I ate that much or I ate this, this little, or I didn't know that this type of food is what I had. And they discovered basic things. And I said, here's the thing. This has nothing to do with what you ate. You were about to eat and you thought, oh, I need to take a picture for Burkay. So I take a picture. Not only do I take a picture, I then send it to them. There's about four steps that are involved before they eat that food. And what I'm teaching them to do is become mindful. They don't even know what's going in. If I ask what you had on Thursday, you have no clue. Most of us are unconsciously eating. Mm -hmm. But what that does is when I get you to capture your foods, you become aware of what's happening and responsible for it at the same time. Mm -hmm. The next exercise is to capture your thoughts. When you capture your thoughts, you become aware, oh my goodness, I did not know I talked to myself this way. The way we talk to ourselves is worse than anything that we've ever heard. If we heard any person talking to anybody that way, we would stand up for them. But we berate ourselves so heavily. Once you berate yourself, once we get a record of all these thoughts that you have, we then ask, what is the core story about this? What is it, what are you telling yourself? What do you ultimately believe? What is sourcing this information? Then we do some work to find out what's sourcing that information. And then I ask you, how true is it? And there's a very specific process that I go through. And when you find out that this is not true, a whole new universe opens up. Right. That's it. And that's all I want. I just want to give you the option of being another person. And when they realize that they don't have to be that way, then they gain the freedom to make a choice for the first time in their lives most often. That's powerful. Well said. Thank you. So how important is a life vision in building the life of your dreams? All right. Because this could be a cliche, life vision, Uh right? But how important is it to have a vision for your life? Man, I envision a world where boundless imagination and creativity is applied to life itself, where the very art of living is mastered and evolved as each individual is empowered to express their unique greatness in the world. That's my vision. I am doing, I can cut this thing down, and I do this with my clients, I can break this down to pieces of my life, every single piece. See, the, the, the problem with a vision statement is it's cliche. People have heard it so often, so much, that they just throw it out. Right. But in my research, internal motivation, internal drivers, having a purpose, the three things that determine uh, self-determination, our ability to create uh, our, our world as we desire it to be, require competence, to believe that you're smart enough to handle it, autonomy, the freedom to do so, and relatedness, being tied to something bigger than yourself. Mm. Your vision is tied to something bigger than yourself, which makes you overcome your own self-sabotages to achieve it, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of times is that a vision statement isn't just a matter of words. There's an entire narrative that I put my clients through to figure it out. Balanced imagination and creativity goes back to what I said earlier where I was playing with my action figures. I was a creator, I created music, I love creation, right? where people are empowered to express their unique greatness, we all are unique. Master and evolved. Before all of this, I was a musician. I was a singer-songwriter. I loved music. It was everything that I did, and I was good at it. But then I got a callus in my vocal cords. Mm. I wasn't able to sing. I thought I died. I thought I was nobody anymore. Wow. Right? Yeah. I mastered my art, but then I lost who I was. And what I say a lot of times is that I was looking at the sun, and for the first time in my life, I saw a sunset. And I'm like, what's happening? and it's getting darker, and it's getting colder, and then all of a sudden I can't see. Mm. But as time went by, my eyes adjusted. When my eyes adjusted, I saw the stars. Billions of stars, sometimes thousands times bigger than the sun. Yes, farther to get to, but more brighter. Mm -hmm. That adjustment is evolving. Not only master your craft, but to evolve beyond it. If something has happened in your life and you just felt like you dropped the ball, lost it all, you've mastered that, great, evolve. We're constantly adapting, that's what we have. 
This is all in my vision statement. I can tell an entire story. I do speeches just on the vision right. statement because it's so important to understand that it's tied to who I am as a person, which gives me the strength and fortitude to push through. That's probably, you, you just almost answered the next question, sort of, but yeah. um, is it important to have a flexible perspective in life mm. as you're going through setbacks right. and successes? Absolutely, yes. I mean, flexibility, it, it, you, you look at nature, nature's flexible, right? We come from nature. Uh, you have, you know, what, this all came from exploding stars. You right. know what I'm saying? So flexibility is, is it's, in, it's built in. So the, the thing that is totally, the antithesis of it is controlled environments. Like this is how it must be. That's not natural. And so what happens is saying to be flexible is like, oh, you need to be flexible. But the truth is to be controlled is insane. To think that it has to go in a certain way is a form of insanity because you're going against the laws of nature. You know what I mean? The second law of thermodynamics. Right. And so in a lot of ways, what I say is that when you learn to adapt, you are no longer married to an outcome. When you're no longer married to an outcome, then it becomes a game. What I often tell people is I say, what if goals were just excuses for adventure? When you say goals are just excuses for adventure, you put yourself into a place where you're not afraid to fail. You're, for, you're, you're excited for the adventure. All I have with my goals, even my goals today, I know that they're adjustable and movable. I know that I will course correct. I know that life will switch it up. But it gives me enough impetus to move. And that's what we're supposed to do on the planet. Move, exist, go. There's so much beauty around us, right? And if there's not beauty out here that you can see, you can make beauty here. Right. This is your adventure. Right. Right? And so by being able to expand and not just reach that linear goal, you all of a sudden drink in more life within your time. I say my, life, my goal in life is to live 100 lives. But that also includes like 99 deaths. Right. And you understand and honor that power because you get to exist fully. That's deep. Well, I'm glad in a way that the music side didn't work out because I wouldn't have meant this version of you. <laughs> right? No offense. No, it's no, true. No, because this is powerful. You're helping a lot of people. You have a very clear vision and, and, and a way of looking at the world yeah. that's uncluttering. Right. And I think a lot of people walk around with very cluttered minds because of what they're digesting, consuming mentally. Right. right? And if I, you know, if I consume a lot of junk mentally... I'm going to be where I'm at, just like your body. And I think they're all connected. They Healthy are. food, what goes in your brain is, is really important. So let me switch gears here because you're an amazing person. You're soulful. You're Thank deep. You, um, your parents got to be so proud. <laughs> and I believe your mom was from Ethiopia, yes. if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. your dad was from Detroit. Detroit yep. um, who's, who's that person's had the most influence in your life? Yeah, it's such a tough question. You know, I often say, you know, who's most important? The person that plants the seed, the water the sun. You know what I mean? It's such a difficult thing. Um, my parents definitely are huge influences in my life. My, my dad for, you know, vision, uh, for, for getting me to, to read these books that opened my mind, Psycho-Cybernetics, and, and just kind of starting on that path. I, I took it and I went so far with it because I wanted to understand the research behind it. I didn't just want the motivational. I wanted to understand how does it work. But he started that in a lot of ways. My mother, love, in so many ways. She's the embodiment of love. And so there's a huge balance between those two. You know, I say, and one of my values is family. And I can never love anybody more than I love my family. So my job is adoption, right? To add people to my family because they get that instant love. And so because of that, my mother, she brought that kind of cohesiveness with our family and is so powerful. Uh, and I think the son, you know, that's the creator. And I think this, this ability to exist on this planet with the crap, which is just our interpretation of this experience. Right, right. It's beautiful. And I feel like in so many ways, you know, through meditation, prayer, and all these different ways that I connect, it's so powerful to me. And it always reminds me that everything the world really has to offer it fails in comparison to being connected. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so 
I could list off a bunch of mentors as well. You know, Travis Mayfield, who gave me books when I was younger to read and write reports. Dan Mulhern, who taught me about leading by two and the power of values. Uh, you know, there's just so many people that I'm very, very grateful for in my life. Um, I can't say one. Uh, everybody's influential at different sizes. My intellect? <laughs> my intellect. That, I think, I think this, was, this goes beyond me. You know what I mean? I can, I can say it comes from my family, my heritage, my DNA, my, but I really think that this was, this was kind of planned. You know what I mean? I have a story sometimes, it's really funny, where you know, we're in heaven and these spirits are around and everybody's like, who wants to be Briquet? He'll have this, this, this. There'll be moments where he doesn't know who God is and he'll be questioned and nobody, the spirit's like, what does that mean? And I was like, right. I'll do it, put me in. Yeah. yeah. So whatever came with that came with that and it was agreed on before I got here. Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, because you're very articulate, you're soulful, you're, yeah. you're very bright, you're deep. And most people like to look at the surface of an issue, but to right. go deep is where, the, is where the gold and the nuggets are. Yeah. You're really I, understanding. I really say cliche. I, I live in cliches and my job is to open up a cliche and find the deep truth in it, right? Because cliches are powerful, but they're cliche. And so we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And so to empower people to stop, and what I say is, if I can get you to stop and think I've done my job, you know, if I throw a rock over the ocean, it just keeps bouncing, right? Mm -hmm. And most of the world in consumerism and capitalism is these tires that keep that pebble shooting. Right. And all I want to do is just stop it. If right. it stops, natural gravity, your natural gravity will sink you into truth. Right. Like that. So what is the most important lesson you've learned in life? Oh, man. <laughs> is that a tough question? <laughs> you know, it's so is funny. Is there one? I'll tell you that, I'll, I will say that the answer should be changing every four or five seconds. Like, because I feel like it's... A, a lesson in life is this, I, I guess something that's important that I, that I think uh, is, is a beautiful thing. For every thousand hacking at the leaves of evil, there's one chop at the root. Henry Thoreau said that. And most of us are spending time buying books, hiring coaches or therapists, trying to fix these leaves. But the truth is if, if you can pause and think and ask yourself, what do I care about? What's important to me? Just throwing everything else away then really you can chop at that root, you know what I mean? And so it puts us in a place where being able to center and know ourselves, and I always recommend journaling. People are like, I don't know what to do, just start writing what you're thinking. Because when you write what you're thinking, if you come back a day later and read it, it won't even sound like you. And so you're starting to become an expert of you. Mm -hmm. I tell all my clients, you were going to be a researcher of yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you know yourself, you'll finally love yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you finally love yourself, you'll be able to create the world that you want but it takes you centering and not dealing with all the little tiny issues in your life, all the little satellites, but centering down to what's most important. How important is it not to care what people think? <laughs> How important is it not to care what people think? I, well, it's very important, right? Um, but you know, naturally as humans, we're, we're communal creatures, right? And so we, we need to care and there's you know, mm -hmm. social constructs and stuff like that. Uh, I think what's more important is the goal is to care about what you think. Mm. And when you care about what you think so much, um, it, it turns the volume down on those around you. So it's good. I, I need accountability. I need people to, sure. to say, hey, you know what I mean? And even if people say negative things about me, it's like, hey, it can keep me down to earth, right? But at the same time as to when I hear my voice so clearly or God's voice or the internal space so clearly, mm -hmm. then by default, everything else becomes quieter. And so that frees you from not saying, you know, F what everybody else is thinking. It's let me turn the volume up on me, right? And that'll naturally de-escalate the sound. I love it. Yeah. Well said. Is there anything we haven't covered you'd like to share with the audience? Um, 
Well, just uh, the work that I do in essence is pretty much life mastery. Like I said, life mastery coaching. I work with individuals, people that are trying to make shifts in their lives, uh, trying to understand. A lot of times people are trying to you know, leave one job or start their own business or should they stay, should they go, kind of getting clarity on what they care about in life mastery and freeing them from the sabotaging thoughts. For business mastery, really what I do is I empower you to get clarity on who you are and then create that fingerprint in your business. I call it identity branding. You're branding from your identity, and that's what people really want on now. Authenticity is right. everything. And then health mastery, and that's where we do have uh, personal trainers because I'm still in the personal training. I love that exercise uh, and the effect it has on all my clients. So all my clients have to do some type of physical activity because it just helps with the brain. But health mastery, we have trainers who train the clients, and then I do the mind work. Uh, and then also, obviously, corporate and speaking, those I just love to do. Yeah, it's, and, it's and check out his videos on YouTube. You're a great speaker. Thank you, man. I, appreciate I had a chance that. to look at some of the videos on the uh, the fitness. Yeah, yeah groups out there in, in whatever parking lot, wherever right, it was. Right, they're working out. Yeah, and they're working out. That yeah. was phenomenal. So, where can yeah. the audience uh, learn more about you or connect yeah. with you? Absolutely, BerkeyBrown.com. B-E-R-K-E Brown.com is really kind of where uh, the essence of everything is. Uh, we're building out some new websites for the internal gym and everything like that. And iGym stands for the internal gym which is mind. your mind, right? Yeah. And we're working out these things here because it fixes everything else. But yeah, you, there's a contact space. You can watch my video on vision. I think really is a nice way to kind of wet the palate so people kind of see what I'm about, what I care about. And uh, you can reach out to me uh, there as well. Fantastic. Birthday, yeah. thanks so much for coming on. So good to be here, Ben. Thanks so much awesome. for having me. Yeah. All right, appreciate it.